you haven't been with us for this series, the whole idea of brought to life, we're not, talk, not just talking about how Jesus rose from the dead in this Easter series, we certainly will, but we're also trying to bring to life some of the people in the story. And so the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the people who accused Jesus, the religious leaders. Jesus exposed them as frauds and phonies, and they hated his guts. They hated him so bad, they wanted him dead. And so they took him to the Roman governor, a man named Pilate, because they didn't have authority to execute people on their own. Uh, The Romans had taken that authority away from them, and they needed to convince him that Jesus was worthy of death. And so they told him this man is a... uh, liar, a deceiver. He's trying to overthrow the Roman government, claiming to be a king. And so last week we talked about the pressures on Pontius Pilate, a politician who's just trying to not lose his job because he's made some really bad decisions in the past that have painted him, painted him into a corner. And this week we're going to talk about how when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified between two thieves, two criminals. And he was also uh, crucified in the place of a notorious man named Barabbas. And so the whole idea on this is to help us make these characters come alive. We want to talk about who is Barabbas? And what do we know about these guys that were crucified with Jesus? Why did all that happen? Because when we start understanding who the people are, then all of a sudden we understand our place in the Easter story. And that's what's important. Because Jesus Christ didn't just die on the cross for a few people. He died for the whole world to pay the penalty of the sins of all of us. And if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. You know, a good Western or a good historical movie, they develop a character in the story and all of a sudden you care. And now all of a sudden you understand a little bit of history because it's like, oh, I feel what they feel. Hopefully that'll happen today. And we'll, we'll see ourselves in a different light in the story of Easter. Let me pray for us one more time. Heavenly Father, today we're going to look at Barabbas and we're going to look at the people that were crucified with Jesus. And hopefully, Lord, that's going to give us some new understanding and a new appreciation of Easter and what you did for us on the cross. I pray that's the case, Lord. So move me out of the way. Teach us whatever you want to teach us about your grace and your mercy and about our sin and our need for you. Pray these things in the marvelous name of Jesus. Amen. Well, here's some important background information. There's an outline. Hopefully you received that on your way in. First of all, I want to remind us what we did last time, that Rome couldn't afford to keep large numbers of troops everywhere, so they maintained control throughout their empire by using terror and brute force to punish troublemakers and crush rebellions quickly. Uh, We talked about this is why there was a Roman governor the gentleman named Pilate, Pontius Pilate. That's why he was in Jerusalem. His headquarters were really about 50 miles away. But he was in Jerusalem during the Passover feast. This is when Jesus was crucified. The Jews were celebrating Passover, a time when God in their past had delivered the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt, from their cruel taskmasters. Well, the Romans had been inhabiting Uh, the whole area around Jerusalem and Judea and that whole area for over 90 years by the time this story takes place, they'd had an occupation there for a long time. And whenever there was a big feast that celebrated freedom from oppressors, they wanted to have troops on hand. They didn't have enough if everybody revolted. So if a riot started, they crushed it quickly. And that's where crucifixion comes in. 
The Romans used crucifixion because it maximized torture and shame. They didn't invent crucifixion. The Persians, I think, did that. But the Romans perfected it. When you were crucified, they found a way to crucify you publicly and bring maximum shame. They loved crucifixion because you could die slowly and in great agony. And they would strip you naked and usually beat you within an inch of your life before they nailed you to a cross so that they could put a placard up on top of the crucifix that you were nailed to and it would say your crimes. If you were guilty of murder or if you were guilty of insurrection or some other horrible crime, then this was the message. You get out of line and this is what we do to you. In fact, when a person was crucified, after they were sentenced to crucifixion, they would find the longest way to wind through the city to get to the place where they were crucified so that everybody who owned a business or every, anybody who happened to be in the city that day would see you carrying the crossbar. The, the, they'd have the poles in the ground, but you'd carry the crossbar on your shoulders and you'd have to carry your own cross, your crucifixion, and there'd be somebody walking ahead of you carrying a sign and reminding people this is what happens to you if you get out of line. Get in line. And it was horrific. It was illegal for Romans to do this to their own citizens. But remember, Jesus was living in Judea, a place where the Romans occupied. They had no respect for him. Now, if you understand that information, the story starts to make a little more sense. Point B, even though Jesus was innocent of any wrongdoing, he was sentenced to be crucified in the place of a notorious criminal named Barabbas. Now, if you've never heard this before, this is really quite interesting. The Roman governor, in order to win favor of the people that he ruled over, apparently every Passover, in order to keep rebellions down, keep control, there'd be a magnanimous act. They would have arrested many people on charges of sedition and rebellion against Rome because there were always freedom fighters that were in jail awaiting trial or execution. And so every Passover, the Roman governor, out of the goodness of his heart, would release one prisoner. Well, Jesus was brought to Pilate on Good Friday during this Passover. It was a whole week of celebration for them during that week. And so here's what happened. Now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner, anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was a man named Barabbas. Now he was a revolutionary who'd committed murder in an uprising. And the crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual. Okay, can we have a prisoner? And Pilate said, would you like me to release to you this king of the Jews? Pilate asked, because Jesus had been brought to him just that day. And he knew, he realized by now that the leading priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. I mean, Pilate had seen a few days before Jesus riding a donkey into Jerusalem and the crowds going wild for him. And he saw the chief priests and the others that, as I said a minute ago, had been exposed as religious phonies and frauds. He saw that they hated his guts. So he knew this was a sham. And so he said, well, this is my way out. I'll ask, Jesus has done miracles. He's a healer, a great teacher. Everybody likes him. I'll just give him a choice. 
Uh, sure. Uh, we'll either let go of this Barabbas guy who's a known murderer, I mean a really bad guy, or Jesus, this healer teacher who's been arrested on phony charges. But at, the point, but at that point, the leading priests had stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. If you want to go back a couple of weeks you know, online, you can hear the message a couple of weeks ago. It'll give you a lot of history on this. But they controlled the worship in the temple, and they could threaten people. If you don't back us in what we want, we're not going to let you come to the temple anymore. We're going to kick you out. And so they had stirred up the crowd and threatened people, and they'd, they'd called in every favor here. When we demand a prisoner, when he offers a prisoner, not Jesus, you go for the other guy. So at that point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas and said to Jesus, and Pilate asked them, well, then what should I do with this man you call king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Now remember, this is reserved for the worst criminal, like Barabbas. I mean, this guy was deserving of this, not Jesus. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, and then he turned him over the Roman soldiers to be crucified. He's not going to let a riot happen. That's why he's there. You've got to use brute force to crush it quickly. And he gave in. Now, here's an important note. Barabbas was recognized by everyone, Romans, Jews alike, as a bad person. He was a violent rebel, guilty of murder, trying to overthrow the government, and many other sins. Barabbas deserved to be crucified. I mean, he deserved it. If there was anybody who actually deserved that kind of a horrible death, it was this horrible man named Barabbas. He deserved it. But here's the interesting thing about the story. When Jesus was put on trial and Pilate asked him, are you not going to defend yourself because I can release you? Jesus didn't say a word. He allowed all this to happen. And here's why. This is the, this is the important note here. Jesus willingly took Barabbas' place. I mean, sometimes people will say, well, you know, Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't the son of God. Well, Jesus was a great leader, but he wasn't the son of God. Well, no. I mean, Jesus came to be a sacrificial lamb. He came to die on the cross for the sins of the world for guilty people like Barabbas. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5. Paul explains this. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, there's a, that last line is on the screen here. Can we read that out loud together, please? But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is the good news that Jesus Christ came to die for sinners like me and like you. And if you and I are going to understand the Easter story, you need to flip your outline over to the next page. Here's a life application. Then I need to embrace this horrible, shocking truth. 
I am Barabbas. If you're going to say, who am I in this story? I'm Barabbas. I'm not Pilate. I'm not the people yelling for the crucifixion. I'm Barabbas. I'm a filthy, rotten sinner who deserves to be nailed to that cross, and so are you. If you're going to understand the gospel, that's what it is. Well, I haven't murdered anybody. Now, hold up. Jesus said, if you've hated anybody, it's the same as committing murder in your heart. I haven't committed adultery. Well, hold up. Jesus said, if you've looked at another person lustfully, if you looked at a woman lustfully, same as committing adultery in your heart. Well, I don't really hate anybody. Hold up. Jesus said, if you called someone an idiot on social media, <laughs> you're in danger of the fires of hell. Hmm. Jesus said all those things. And if you added up every wicked thought, every careless word, every hateful attitude, all the times I could have helped people, all the times I should have done the right thing, and you added them all up, well, I'm guilty of a million trillion sins, and so are you. And so the picture of Easter is Jesus taking my place on the cross. I deserve to die on the cross. And Jesus took my place. In this story, I am Barabbas. Won't you let that sink in? Here was a guy, he knew he was a murderer. He knew he was guilty of all of it. He had intensely tried to overthrow Rome. He was, he was busted, they caught him. He expected to die on the cross. And yet one day, they came and took the chains off and they said, you're free. This man, Jesus, took your place. You're free. What? You're free. We're putting your chains on him. The cross that was set up for you, he's going to die on it in your place. That's Barabbas. That's me. That's you. That's why Jesus came. I mean, listen to what Paul wrote to Titus, Titus 3. At one time... We too, speaking of us, were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Amen. This is the good news of the cross. Jesus took my place and your place on the cross and made it possible for all of our sins to be forgiven and made it possible for us to be a part of God's family. It was an exchange. He takes my sin and rebellion and I get his righteousness and peace. He dies so I can live. I am Barabbas. 
If you've never seen yourself in this light, we need to. God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin so we could become righteous. He was numbered in the place of a filthy, rotten sinner so we could stand in the place of the Son of God, blessed by our Heavenly Father. And we could spend all hour just talking about the substitution here. Barabbas was a man who took life. Jesus was a man who raised people from the dead. Barabbas was filled with sin. Jesus came to forgive sin. Barabbas had no future. Jesus gave him a future and a hope. Barabbas had the chains and went free. Jesus was free and took on the chains. I mean, you just talk about it forever. And I hope the wonder of the moment is not lost on us. This is what Jesus does for you and me, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. This is grace. In fact, there's a life application here that I'm Barabbas, but it's like through Christ, here's an interesting thing about his name, Barabbas is just a Hebrew word. Bar means son and Abba means father. Barabbas means son of the father. And so what's amazing is, is that when I come to Christ, I actually become a son of the Father. We don't know who Barabbas' earthly father was or other things. We don't know. He was just son of a father. That's his name. But when I come to Christ, I become son of our heavenly Father. I get a new identity. In fact, Paul talks about this a little later in Romans 8. You received God's spirit when he adopted you his own children, and now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children, and since we're his children, we're his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs in God's glory. I am a child of the king. Could you say that together with me, please? I am a child of the king. Man, we are just not convinced at all. We're going to try that again. I mean, I want you to understand what good news this is. Apart from Christ, I am Barabbas, deserving of death, filled with sin, a rebel who should be nailed to a cross. Because of Christ, not only do I not suffer that, but I'm adopted into God's family and I'm a child of the king. I am a child of the king. Can we say that together, please? I am a child of the king. This is what Jesus came to do. Not just pay for our sins, but to adopt us into his own family. Now I'm an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. The Bible says Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's our big brother. And have you ever thought, oh, well, no, I'm not. I'm not that. I mean, I don't want to go to hell when I die. But I'm not like Jesus. He's not. Well, the Bible says that when we come to Christ, we surrender our whole life to him all our sins, all our plans, and every day we surrender every decision we make, all of our thoughts and other things, and the more we surrender, the more we become like Jesus. He fills us with his spirit and makes us new. I 
Again, I'm stopping and pausing here because the wonder of this is amazing. Barabbas did nothing to earn Jesus' forgiveness. He was guilty as sin. And Jesus took his place because Jesus said, I love Barabbas. God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. He took our place. The devil would love to have you believe that you are worthless and lost and God hates your guts. You've messed up so bad, he'll never forgive you. He would love to remind you that every day, what a great sinner you are. And we can say, I am Barabbas. And you know what Jesus came to do? He came to take the place of Barabbas and he adopted me into God's family and I'm a child of the king. Now look, that is true. And I'm being transformed a little bit every day through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, but the story goes on. After that, Jesus was crucified between two criminals. John 19 tells us they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. Remember, this was an emblem of suffering and shame, and the Romans wanted him carrying it everywhere, saying, this man deserves suffering and shame. He's carrying this crossbar, most likely naked, beaten within an inch of his life, Roman soldiers whipping him, spitting on him, saying, this is what happens if you get out of line. And the religious leaders were mocking him too. The whole way to the cross. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself, and he went to the place of the skull. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Golgotha. And there they nailed him to the cross. By the way, in Hebrew, it's pronounced Golgotha. In Latin, it's pronounced Calvarium. If you ever heard that Jesus died on Calvary, it's just that hill of the skull. It's the same word, just in another language. It's not cavalry. Cavalry are the soldiers on horses. It's Calvary. Okay. <laughs> just wanted you to know. And there they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. Fulfilled the prophecy from hundreds of years before. Isaiah said he'd be numbered with the transgressors. With us. Transgressors. Who should be on the cross. Now it's important to understand a couple things. Through his death on the cross, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. In Galatians 3, it says, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, cursed, this is Deuteronomy 21, 23, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. The Old Testament law was this. All you have to do is keep the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments in the Old Testament perfectly your whole life long, and you have no problem getting into heaven. I have a problem. I've broken commandment. I mean, this is thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, shalt not covet, honor your father and mother. I mean, there's no way. In fact, that's what Jesus said when people said that they wanted to celebrate their obedience to the law. He goes, you've missed by a mile. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Your, your hearts haven't changed. I mean, this is why we come to Christ 
He forgives us of all of our sins and pays the penalty because we've all transgressed the law a million times. But then he gives us the Holy Spirit and he changes our hearts so that even our desires change. We have the desire and the power to want to obey him. I talked to a man a couple of months ago and he said, well, I'd love to come to church, but you know, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I mean, I know if I come, I'm going to have to change some things and never been able to change things before in my life. And I said, well, you don't understand the gospel we talk about at all. And he said, I don't. I go, no. Jesus didn't only come to pay the penalty for our sins and say, okay, I paid the penalty for your sins. Now get it right from now on. You ever mess up again, the deal's off. Well, that would be no deal at all. Because I'm not strong enough and neither are you. But what if Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and then he changed me from the inside out, filled me with his spirit and changed me? Changed the way I think. Changed my temper and my tongue. And gave me new priorities. What if he transformed me? That's what's happening in the life of every believer. I need God's grace for salvation. I need God's grace and his power for my sanctification. Growing up like Jesus. And Jesus came to give us all that. And so it was important that we understand this and we don't miss it. He took the place of Barabbas and he hung on the cross so that everyone who understood the Old Testament law would understand he's taking the curse. The curse is we're filthy, rotten sinners and can't help ourselves out. And if we have to keep the law, we'll never be able to do it. It just exposes how bad we are. And he took all the curse upon himself. He took the curse so I could be blessed. You have no idea how good this news is that you're hearing because you're all sitting there staring at me and you should be shouting. <laughs> this is really good. This is why this is called good news. This is good news. Here's a life application. New life is available to everyone through Christ, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And if you have a friend, a brother, a sister, a neighbor, a cousin, a coworker, or somebody in your school, and they don't know Jesus, bring them to a meeting here. Uh, talk to them yourself. Show them this outline. Whatever you need to do, tell them, remind them, God loves you. He took your place. He'll pay the penalty for your sins. He'll give you the Holy Spirit to transform you. Come to him. Surrender your life to Jesus. You can be made brand new, adopted into God's family, and he loves you. This is the truth. Listen to what Paul wrote about this. This is Romans 3. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. All 10 million of them. It's too hard as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Secondly, it's important to understand that one of the criminals crucified with Jesus asked Jesus to save his soul. There was a conversation between Jesus and one of the criminals. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Well, then prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man, he hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you'll be with me in paradise. This man showed us what true faith is like. 
How so? Well, think about it. He's hanging on a cross next to Jesus. Jesus is dying, nailed to a cross, being mocked and spit upon. And this man turns to Jesus and says, I believe in you. In fact, he rebukes the thief on the other side of Jesus and said, don't you fear God? Because here's what the fear of God is. The fear of God is realizing I'm a sinner who deserves to be here and Jesus doesn't and Jesus can save me. I mean, we use the fear of God if we fuss at our kids because they put a dent in the car. Well, I put the fear of God in him last night, you know. Okay, let me tell you what the fear of God is. The fear of God is coming to terms that with the fact that I am Barabbas. I should have been, Barabbas should have been on that cross. In fact, these two guys were probably accomplices of Barabbas for all we know. Should have been him. He actually did the things that Jesus were cruci was crucified for. But Jesus took his place took my place, took your place, and one of the criminals realized what was going on. And he said, oh, Jesus. I deserve to be here. You don't. Will you remember me in your kingdom? Now, this is faith, because at the minute when Jesus is hanging naked, dying on the cross, it didn't look like things were going well. Can we all understand that? It didn't look like he was coming into his kingdom. This is what faith looks like. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the promise of things we can't see yet. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. This is believing. When you and I trust God and honor our marriage vows, even would it be easier to stray. I'm gonna trust that God's gonna bless that. When we sacrificially give to someone, even when our own funds are tight, I'm gonna trust that God's gonna provide for me because his word says he will. Faith is trusting God when the circumstances look the opposite. This guy had faith. And he was saved by faith through God's grace. Because he's dying on the cross. There wasn't time for him to go to seminary. Wasn't time for him to go on a mission trip. This was it. And that's why there's a life application here. It's not too late to repent of our sins and come to Jesus through faith. For God says at just the right time, Paul wrote here, I heard you on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. If you have not given your heart to Christ, today is the right day because this may be the day that you and I die. And if you're praying for a friend and you've been praying for a family member, a friend for a long time and they haven't come to Christ, don't stop. It's not too late as long as we still draw breath. Come to Jesus today. By the way, this guy has been honored and celebrated. If you look at a picture of the crucifixion with the two thieves, Jesus' head is always tilted toward his right because the thief on the right was like the sheep and the goats was the honorable thief. And on the pictures, that's, that's how you know which one it was. Um, by tradition, his name was Dismas. And so if you grew up Catholic, you heard of St. Dismas. They celebrate a day for him on March 25th every year. Go 25 miles east of the Rose Bowl Stadium. You'll go into San Dimas, California. That's Spanish for St. Dismas. I guarantee you he didn't go, come from California, okay? <laughs> I don't know where he was from, but I know where he lives now. Because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. One last point. Before he died on the cross, Jesus said, it's finished. Told the thief, you'll be with me. 
He gave a loud cry, said, it is finished. John 19.30, Jesus said, it's finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It takes three words in English. It's one word in Greek, tetelestai, just as an old accounting term. We found archaeological evidence, old accounting records, and they have a stamp on them. It says one word, tetelestai, the same word that Jesus said on the cross. It just means paid in full. What was paid in full? The penalty for the curse, the penalty for our sins, paid in full. I have no ability to pay it. Jesus said, I'll pay it on your behalf. I'll pay your penalty. You take my blessing. I'll die. You live. Anyone who comes to me can have this deal. This is the good news of Easter. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that separated people, kept them from entering into God's presence, was torn by God himself so people could walk right in anytime they want. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins that was good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the life application is, so let's come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we'll receive his mercy, and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. We don't have to be afraid of coming to God, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. Mm. Paid in full. When our third son graduated from college, and we'd been saving for college, or spending money for college, for, we'd worked on that for 20 plus years with all three of our sons, when the third one graduated a few years ago from Auburn, my wife and I drove back from Auburn and gave each other a high five. And I said, to tell us die, paid in full. <laughs> I can come to God with my filthy, rotten, raggedy, sinful soul. And Jesus says, to tell us die, paid in full. You give me your raggedy life, John, and I'll give you my eternal life. You give me your sins, I'll give you my righteousness. You give me your, la your despair and your fears, and I will give you eternal life and hope. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Come. Will you pray with me? Lord, this is the message of Easter. It's such good news. It's unbelievable, and we don't celebrate it enough. I am Barabbas. It should have been me. I'm the thief on the cross crying out to you, Lord, save me. You deserve where I am. Please remember me. That's my only hope. God, may I never forget this. And Lord, would you give me a burden to share this good news with anyone? Anyone can come to Christ. And of course we can't fix ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. Save us, Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.